0: Welcome to SaaS Unscripted, a podcast by Noble Recruitment. I'm your host, Nick van Eten, and in this podcast, we'll take a look behind the scenes of the SaaS world. Join us on a growth journey through stories, challenges, and achievements of the people driving this industry forward. Get ready for SaaS Unscripted. Hey, uh, welcome to the show of SaaS Unscripted unscripted we are following people from the SaaS industry and follow their personal and professional journey welcome to the show jelle uh you you have uh, an incredible journey all the way up to the ceo of value blue and uh yeah In today we are going to discover how you got there and uh, all the personal and professional challenges that come to that yes is there anything i forgot uh (laughs) Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, my
1: name is uh, Jelle Visser. I'm, I'm the CEO with, uh, with Value Blue. I've been with the companies for close to 10 years, nine and a little bit ra- right now. Um, I'm not the founder of the company. The company was founded in 2011 by my father. And back then we founded it as a consultancy firm. And over the years, I've been involved in the development and the commercialization of, of our product. Um, and grew into different roles until I, I became the CEO uh, in, in, in June this year. So that's quite
0: fresh. Yeah, congrats. Congrats on that.
1: And of course, uh, apart from that, uh, I'm, I'm 31 years old now. I live in, uh, in Dordrecht uh, with my family, with my, with my partner and with two kids. A uh, lot more to tell, but I think we'll cover that uh, in the rest of the conversation.
0: Welcome. Looking forward to this. And uh, yeah, we met um, uh, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met you and uh, your dad. And uh back then you had just raised your first funding round. And uh yeah, it's excited to uh to see from the outside uh what your journey uh yeah, how your journey has been since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before we go into the exciting uh SaaS stuff, uh can you tell us uh more about uh your youth? How uh, how did you grow up?
1: Yeah, I actually so I was I was born in uh, in Delft. And uh, uh when I was very small we moved to a place near Utrecht. Um, um, I lived there for a few years. I went to to elementary school, and then after that we moved again, and we moved to the place where my parents ag- uh, actually grew up. So that was in the northern part of the of the Netherlands, in a city called uh, Enkhuizen. And I think I had, I had a very a very good youth. Like it was uh, very protected. Uh, didn't have to worry about a lot of things. Um, I think the biggest impactful thing that happened was that we moved from one place to another which is which is very big when you're 6 right like then it's uh th- that's uh, that's a whole different world. I remember very well that you're i 100% sure that you're going to see your old friends forever and you're going to come by every weekend when it's possible and then you're a year in a new place and you don't see them an- anymore but you you very quickly get a new group of friends so yeah, and then from there, I, I, I did all the way up to, to high school in, in, in Um and, and it was very good. Like it's, it's a small place, but big enough to have something to do. But I do very strongly remember that once I turned 14, 15, that I started to find it boring uh, and that I really wanted to move out. And I always told my parents, like, as soon as I turn 18, I move out of the house and I'm going to live in Amsterdam because I want a little bit more adventure than this and that's one uh, what i did when i when i started studi- studying
0: nice and and before you moved to amsterdam what what uh, uh did you have any uh, uh jobs back then uh, what uh, what was your first job
1: i was always taught that if you want to want to have money you have to work for it um so the first jobs that i actually had well, when i was pretty young i used to do like all these little jobs around the uh, around the neighborhood to make money like Drawing cards, cleaning up uh, uh, garages, and, and 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 stuff like that. Uh, but the first somewhat serious job that I got was, I think I must have been thirteen or something like that. And well, there's a lot of farmland around that area, so I just worked on the farms. So I I, I did all different things. So uh, we worked with uh, I worked with flower bulbs and having to clean them and stuff like that. I picked broccolis. I planted broccoli uh, cauliflowers, like, um, I, 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 a lot of agricultural work. It was quite hard work. And, uh, also like, I think nobody really liked it because it was like, you had to get up really, really early. Um, and I did that until 15, 16, something like that, but it earned for, for that age, it earned quite well. And like, it allowed you to buy or to do the stuff that you wanted to do. Then later on, I had, a jobs in supermarkets, which uh, like was a little bit easier and you can plan your time a little bit more. Um, and I think the first time that I started to do something uh, a little bit for myself more is that I, together with a, a guy that I work with, uh, we started a platform, which we were, uh, basically reviewing music. Uh, so we started a website and we reviewed, uh, you know, a little bit of like indie garage rock kind of uh, of uh, of music, and then out of that we started uh, DJing. So we would play the music that we were reviewing, and then we were going around the bars in the area. Well, and basically we made some money with that. It was not like a uh, like a full time job, but as a side job next to to high school, it was pretty good actually.
0: And you basically e- e- escaped escaped the <laughs> the small village from the north in the yeah. north to. Uh uh, to move to Amsterdam. Yeah, uh, Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about that time?
1: Had a small room in Diemen. Um, I, I remember that when when I got there, my parents came with me to look at it. My mother was like, why are you leaving our house to live in this in this little, little prison? <laughs> and she completely didn't understand. But for me, it was like a castle, like all for myself. It fitted a bed. I had a TV there. I had a PlayStation. I would go out every night. It was paradise for me for two years living the dream living the dream exactly when you start studying whole new world opens up right you, you learn things every day uh, you get to meet a lot of new people um i did a lot of completely different jobs i remember that i worked for an uber like app that, that went bankrupt after that but like i was on the uh, on the central picking up the phone at night, so from 11 p.m. in the night till 7 a.m. in the morning, which was an interesting experience. I worked in, in, in a large hotel, luxury hotel on the bank, banqueting department serving uh, when when like the football teams came to Amsterdam, like Real Madrid or like the, the Turkish squad, for example. They slept there and we had to service them, which was an interesting experience. But you learn like all these different kinds of businesses. Not really in mind back then to do something with it later, but they were definitely shaping shaping experiences as well. And I think I was two years into my studies um, when one of my friends there said, like, hey, I'm thinking about doing a minor. So we had to select a minor. And as usual, I was not super engaged. And I think it was like, eight weeks before we should start that I still didn't select anything. And he came up like, hey, I'm, I'm actually going to do something called entrepreneurship. And you have to build your own company uh, during that studies. Um, and, and that's the only assignment that you have to do. Well, to me, that sounded pretty cool. I was like, hey, I, I want to try that. So I enrolled myself and I got into the program. And it started off with like a week-long boot camp in, uh, in a castle in, in Heemstede. And the thing that you had to do there is you had to form a group and you had to come up with an idea that could be a potential company. And then for the six months after that, you had to build that company. So you had to build it from the ground up. And I think that was the first moment that I realized, whoa, this is really the coolest thing that you, that you can do. So we started that with a group of four people. Uh, I was one of the younger ones in there. So there were people with way more experiences that had a much more defined path of where they wanted to go. And I sort of came there and i like, yeah, I don't like school. I'm, I'm sure, not sure what, I, what I'm going to do here. Um, but then I was one day into it and I thought, whoa, this is awesome. And that was the first moment that I realized, whoa, I really want to start a business because it's amazing.
0: Cool, cool experience. And so that was a pivotal moment then.
1: That was a pivotal moment. So if there's one moment that really sparked my interest in that, it was that, that one week and, and what happened after there that, well, I, I think before that I knew it was a possibility to start a company, but I didn't really know where to start. Or I was I was focused on like yeah, you have to have like studies and you have to do. And then suddenly I realized, hey, you don't have to wait until you finish your study. You can just go ahead and do it. And that that it that was really pivotal.
0: Uh, cool and yeah, f- very curious to know what company did you build.
1: Yeah, so actually we started uh, something that was called Snell Verzorgd, uh, which is. Uh, something, means something like quickly taken care of. Um, And what we did is we put basically the stuff that you can buy in like uh, in the supermarket in terms of care products, we put it in a box and then you could take a subscription on it on a monthly basis and we would send it to your home. And the idea behind it was that we as students always forgot to get to the supermarket. You didn't have like the delivery services back then. Um, so why don't you get your like, your toothpaste and your deodorant like to your home every month so that you don't have to think about it. And we built stuff like a button to delay it for one month if you still had something left or that you could get holiday packages and stuff like that. And that's how we started that off. Um, we, we got it pretty far in five months. So we got like a working website. We got a way that you could order it. We could get the products. We had like merchandise and st- stuff like that around it or uh, branding. Um, but we didn't make any real money with it yet, I think we sold one or two subscriptions, something like that. Well we started a company, we, 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 we rented a desk in a, in a co-working space at, uh, at Overtome here in Amsterdam. And actually that's how it started, so we called it, uh, after that we renamed it to Groomsday, which we thought was a little bit cooler, and uh, yeah that, that business actually did pretty well at some point.
0: Cool to hear from you that uh, you had some ex- entrepreneurial experience, before you kick-started your journey in in saAS yeah yeah you started with uh, yeah working for your dad at value Blue. yeah uh, can you uh, tell us more about yeah how you transitioned into finally the role as CEO of uh, value Blue? then
1: my father asked me hey we're actually starting with building a product can you you have some experience with setting up these websites and the marketing engines and stuff like that um, can you help us with that well and I said well that's okay and I just I got, I think, a three-day contract in the beginning for three months, something like that, to help set up like the marketing department uh, around the product. Three months into the business, I realized that I really loved this B2B SaaS product kind of approach um, compared to the B2C businesses that I did before. I found it very challenging, like more, more uh, mentally, cognitively, challenging right you really have to think like hey what does the customer want and how can we make sure that the product both does it but also that you can tell that and explain that to the customer in the right way uh, which is difficult right because you have to understand their business model you have to understand how they do business um, and then you have to map that to what you do so started off with some marketing and then uh, I started adding to do uh, to, to add some BDR work to it like we didn't have dedicated people for that back then. And then if I made an appointment, I started doing sales. And I think over the course of the two, three years after that, I sort of did all the uh, commercially related roles uh, around the product. So I did marketing, sales. I did pre-sales, did my own demos, learned to work with the product. Um, And I found out that the field that we're in, which is uh, enterprise architecture, is one of the most interesting things uh, that I'd ever seen. And that, that really is... How it kicked off, and then um, yeah, from there, the product started to take off. So we started building the product back in 2014. Uh, we signed the first customers in 2015. The, the initial start of the product. So we started in 2011 as a consultancy business, and the people that were in consulting, they were building the product. So they were building it based on their real like customer experience and the problems that they saw in the market. Uh, So we transitioned more and more of the consultants into the product organization, but it was a little bit of a combined business for three or four years. So around 2016, 17, 18, we started to realize more and more that the product might be the most feasible thing to to chase for for the company. So we saw more and more pull from the market. Uh, We saw that we could win from way bigger competitors, for example. Um, so, we really transitioned into a product company, but then we also started to realize that um, in order to pull that off, we're, we're going to need uh, external money. And that is when we did our first investment round with a company called uh, VC called Niwion. Uh That was, must have been around the time that we met as well uh, initially. And then when we got, uh, well, by that time, like the the team had grown, right? So there was a dev team, we had the consultancy team that was transitioning into a customer success team. Um, We had some other salespeople as well. And by then I was already managing the sales team. Um, And when the VC money came in, it was also a point where we had to officialize some of these things a little bit more so up till then i think we were we must have been like 20 30 people something like that of which a large share uh, was the consulting business still um but that is also uh well in, m- i think we got that investment in may 2019 mm-hmm. um, and then we also decided to do official titles and then my official title uh, title became a chief com- chief commercial officer basically responsible for our commercial operations uh, around the product. Um, and that is what I've been doing for the four years since then, until June this year. Uh, during that period, like you learn a lot. So you're closely you're closely um, engaged with the funding rounds that we did after that. You're very en- uh, closely engaged with all the other C-level team members. Um, the, the team grew a lot. So currently we were a little bit over a hundred people at some point you're managing 40, 50 people and you get a layer in between. Um, So very valuable experience and also really, really on top of the growth of the company, of course. And then in June, I transitioned to the CEO role uh, because my father is going to stop. Also, we're preparing for another round potentially next year. And you don't want to do a CEO switch right before you do such a round. Uh, but you also want to make sure that when you do a round that the current CEO can be on in his position for another three at, or three to five years at least. So we had that discussion with my father and with our board members. Um, and my father was pretty clear that he didn't want to go on for another five years. Um, and that is uh,
0: that is when I uh, transitioned into this position. Interesting journey uh, uh, about yeah, having a side job at Value Blue, the company of, uh, your dad founded. Yeah. Um, how, how does that work, uh, working for your dad in such a high growth company? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm really gonna be here for three to six months.
1: I'm gonna help you to set up the website and some marketing engines, but that's it. And then after that, I'm going back to my studies and I'm gonna do something for myself again. Well, that didn't turn out to go that way, uh, obviously. Um, you have someone to talk to and to ask questions to, which is really, really easy. I can I've never experienced it, but I can imagine when you get into a company, Uh, when you're young, it takes a little bit of time to get acquainted with how a business works, what the field of work is, to gather all the knowledge. But I usually had somebody that owned the business that I could ask all the questions that I wanted on, even, even during Christmas dinner, for example, right? So you get a lot of exposure to the content, and that allows you to learn really, really quickly. At the same time, it's also your father and someone you know really good, so the communication style can sometimes be a little bit different, right? Like uh, it's easier to be angry at your father than at your boss. Uh, and although he was my boss to a certain extent, like it was, uh, y- you can have fights about little things or nagging and of course things from your personal life can get into your business life a little bit and the other way around. But I must say that we that we did it really good.
0: Would you also say, uh, also uh, interesting perspective for maybe other employees that worked for value blue would you say you got uh, more chances than anyone else in the business difficult question
1: uh, i i would like to say no and that they like you we have always really tried to treat everyone equally right but to me it feels a little bit like ignorant to say that i didn't get any additional chances because in the end like he is my father he knows me and even when he might have objectively found that I did my job really good. I'm not sure if I would have gotten the exact same changes at any different random other company. So I'm, I definitely think that there is an additional benefit to being in the company of your father. At the same time, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I didn't get any promotions or jobs uh, while I was not do- doing my job properly. So I always I always overperformed. I always made sure that I made my target just like the other people. Um, so it's a little bit yes and no. So I think that getting the chances and when I was doing it good, there was always a next step available. I think that is definitely a privilege. Um, at the same time, it was not like, hey, you don't do anything uh, here. You have a promotion, right? That's, that's not how it works. You have to prove yourself as well and maybe sometimes even a little bit harder than other people. I think uh, the the feedback that I was getting and the critique that I was getting was al- also very straightforward and direct and I didn't get like two or three chances. It just had to be right first time.
0: You also mentioned something about your uh, private life. Uh, you have uh, a girlfriend and two kids or yes. a wife and two kids. How, how, how are you keeping all those th- things together? For me, the
1: transition got harder when kids came into play. Right, uh, so um, um, I got a I got a kid during uh, during COVID, and uh, uh, my girlfriend already had a kid from an earlier relationship. Uh, so when all that when all of that came together, suddenly you're going from a situation where you have zero kids to having well the kids from an earlier relationship that really feels like my son and then my own daughter and you go to a situation where you have two kids waiting at home. And at that time I was already traveling quite a lot. So I spent a lot of time uh, in in other countries, in the plane, traveling around. Um, But then the dynamic really changes. So when I didn't have kids, I used to like work till seven, eat some food that I ordered uh, behind my laptop and could then go on till 10 in the evening. And suddenly I really started to value uh, having dinner with the kids, for example. Um, and that's something that you really have to balance. And I, and I did definitely put into place certain things. So um, one of the things that I did, for example, is that I put in my agenda between 5.30 and 8. I'm having dinner and I'm bringing my kids to bed and I'm completely fine working after that, no problem. Um, I'm also completely fine working up till that moment really hard and like trying to do as much as possible in a short time frame. But as much as possible, I try to keep that time free and like be fully and being able to fully give attention to my kids during that period. And sometimes difficult, right, especially when the pressure is high at work. Like it's very attractive to have your phone next to you during dinner and watch at the email come in and see if that deal is already coming in or see if that big feature has been released, all those kinds of things. But I really try to to put that away Another thing that I try to do is that when I cannot make it home for one reason or another, I I try to do as much work as possible in one day. So instead of spreading my work uh, in like five, 10 hour work days, I'd rather do three, eight or nine hour work days and then two like 12 hour or 13 hour work days, really trying to fix as much work as I can so that the other ones, I have an evening free to spend with my family, for example. Well, those those little tricks make it much more doable and give me the feeling that I have the availability to pay attention to my family, which I find very important. So I, I love the job and the business, but I love my kids and my partner more.
0: Yeah, Now I now su- summarize that, then your life basically, Jelle, yeah, you have uh, quite some people that rely on you. Mm-hmm. You have uh, multiple investors, that, uh, that you work with. You have uh, around 100 people that rely on your, uh, um, your management. Mm-hmm. You have a family life uh, to support. Have there been times that it was just too much?
1: No, that's a very, a very short answer is no. Uh, not too much, it, there's been times that it's much. Yeah. But as I said before, I really enjoy the ride like I love the field of work that we're in, I love the whole idea of entrepreneurship and building a company, the pressure can sometimes get high. I've never been very sensitive for outside pressure in the sense that I strongly hope that our investors are gonna be very successful uh, because they're gonna be successful if the company is successful. But to a certain extent, I'm, I'm not running the company for our investors. I'm running the company to build something amazing and to build, make the world a better place and to because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never feel like I'm working for them or I'm failing them. Like I, I do f- more feel like I'm failing myself if the company fails. Mm-hmm. For the people in the company, that's slightly different, right? Because you know that they're dependent. You know them really, really well. You build a relationship with them. And they are more dependent on our single company than than investors are, for uh, for example. Um, So you feel some kind of responsibility. At the same time, I always like when I think too much about them, I also tell myself like, hey, we have amazing people in the company. They are super talented. Um, In case I fail, they will find another job in like one or two months because they are smart enough and talented enough to work anywhere they want and to have a very good job. That doesn't mean that I would like to lose them, but it gives me a little bit of relief. Like sometimes it's really good to zoom out a little bit and and understand like, Hey, if they, if I somehow fail them and I cannot like sustain the company, it doesn't mean that they will not have food on the table the next day. Probably means that they will be disappointed. It probably means that they have to look for another job and go through a slightly rough time. But then in one or two months, they will find an amazing other job and they can do it. And like that zooming out, putting things in perspective really helps me. Uh, And I think that is also where you really have to sometimes take a little break and zoom out a little bit, because those are the exact things that you can get into those loopholes. If you keep on working, making late late nights, don't sleep enough then you can feel that pressure way more than when you have had a great night and you have been doing something relaxing. And then suddenly you realize, okay, of course there's pressure, but in the end, I'm just a human and I can fail and the people will
0: survive. You know, like that. that is, that can help. And that's how you solved a situation like that. But, but do you also have a specific situation, a challenging situation and how you navigated that?
1: Yes, so I I think my most challenging times are a little mostly FOMO Uh, like you feel like you're in this great position to succeed as a company but then suddenly it can happen that one of your big customers is close to churning or leaving you or it can happen that you see a competitor that gets a massive investment and you say like, how are we ever going to compete with that? Or you see them releasing this feature and you think, why didn't we think of having that first? You know, those kinds of things. Or your star employee walks away, like those things can happen, right? And then you really feel like, oh, it can only get downhill from here. And those are the things that keep me most awake at night. So it's less a general feeling of pressure, but it can be these moments. And especially, for example, when that happens, like you you get that on your email or you see it on LinkedIn right before you go to bed. That can be really, really bad for your nights asleep. And I can wake up at 4 in the night and then I cannot sleep anymore. And like you get into that loophole again. Um, So there's a few things that I try to do there. So first of all, there's a moment in the evening when I turn off devices and try not to look as much as possible usually after 10 p.m i don't i don't like to look at anything anymore and if possible a little bit earlier and then at least give myself like half an hour to an hour to sort of rewind and like do something completely different doesn't matter if it's reading a book playing a game of, of fifa on the playstation something like that makes your mind empty empty um and there's also occasions when you just have to to talk to people like if it's bigger than just unwinding uh i like 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 my partner is a great help there for example i really believe that that is important but sometimes when i really struggle with something i just ex- try to explain to her what the situation is and ask her like how how would you approach this or how, how would you do, uh, how would you do this um and i really believe that it's not about I expect me expecting her to give me the solution or how to run the business, but the fact that you can talk to someone and that you can ask that question. And usually even by explaining it to someone, like from a more external perspective, you get better ideas yourself as well. And also like it sort of gets out of your system by putting it out there in the open. Um, and the nice thing about doing that with your, with your partner or in some cases with my father, that that would also really help, right? Because he could e- even understand it a little bit better. Um, that can be that can be very relieving, and it can be hard to do that within your company or with your investors, because you know that they have a stake in it, right? So you cannot be completely transparent sometimes about the doubts that you have with with somebody that that you work with. So having people around you that are completely. That that that, that 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 don't give a shit about how the business is doing to a certain extent, that don't give a shit about how you feel about that thing, and that can just give you an honest answer where you can sp- explain everything in like a protected space. I think that is very important for me to sort of get over those big challenges.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And also, as a CEO, you're a leader. You're the leader of 100 people that uh, rely on you. Uh, you had a fresh perspective how you can zoom out. Mm-hmm. But do you have... Um, uh, like uh, an example how you really led the business with uh, with purpose?
1: Well, I would say that one of the first things that I did as when I became CEO is we used to be a quite sales-oriented organization, which to an extent makes sense. But for example, in our OKRs, I don't like to have financial metrics in there. So I believe that it's very important to talk more about the purpose that you have as a company. What are we trying to achieve? How are we gonna do that? Um, and so one of the things that we're now doing is that we're having much more, well, customer success oriented way to objectives. That's really like purpose driven. In the end, if we like, in the end, we need to make money to get to that purpose. So in the end, revenue growth will be part of achieving that objective. But by not calling it the money goal, not saying like, hey, we want to go to ten million or to twelve million as your goal, that is a way to get to your purpose. So that's that's a change that I made. Another thing that I introduced even before I was CEO is um, we give a share of the revenue that we generate, we give it away to a uh, to a charity. Um, and that's something that I always found really important. I think if your company is becoming successful, you can make a very big impact on changing certain things. Um, and you're in a very privileged position. And in my opinion, you should use that. So one of the things that, we do is a qu- uh, we, we do 1% of the quarterly revenue and uh, 50 cents for every marketing qualified lead that we generate, we add that into a pot. And then um, one team it per quarter, they get to uh, provide three charities of their choice related to the name of the release. So our, our product is called Blue Dolphin. So the, the releases that we do, they have the names of dolphin, like can be the Atlantic Dolphin or something like that. And then you have to make a story about how that charity relates back to that dolphin. But it can be like, it can be completely crazy. Like it can be 20 puzzle pieces tied together. And in the end, like last, last, last quarter, we gave it to the uh, youth education fund, for example, which has absolutely nothing to do with dolphins, but it was a great story how we tied it back. That doesn't matter. Um, and then the whole company gets to vote and we select one of those three charities. Um, And I really love to give the people in the company the opportunity to give a part of the money that we make to something that they care about, right? And I also really like, especially when we do these smaller funds, um, it can make a very, very big difference. Um, Half a year ago or something like that, um, we transferred the money to a very small local charity in South America that was doing work to educate uh, tribes around a river where a certain type of dolphin swam they don't get that many donations so they got like seven or eight thousand euros at once and they send us a video back with the guy like the wildlife guy recorded the, wh- what he was going to do with the money and how he was going to educate the people living next to the river i think like if you can do something like that it's that's amazing right that that for me really feels like purpose you're trying to make the world a slightly better place um and it makes people feel good and it makes people engaged. We don't use it for marketing or anything. I think this is the first time I tell about it in a public place because I don't want it to become like a marketing tool, look at us doing good. It's much more fun it's, if it's an internal thing that the people in the company like and it gives me and them a good feeling.
0: And what, what fascinates you
1: most about being part of the SaaS industry? What I really love about SaaS in general is that compared to the old world where you would have like perpetual... You're, um, you're much more aligned with your customer, right? Because with perpetual, it was very, um, it, it could be very profitable to do amazing sales and promise all sorts of stuff that you could not deliver, and then you sell the software and like the customer stuck w- with it for multiple years. While in the SaaS business, you're running monthly or yearly contracts. So if you don't deliver the value, customer just quits. So you have to make sure that your customer is happy. It's way more fun to work with customers where it's beneficial to both sides and that you, have, uh, that you have a healthy beneficial partnership. So that alignment of value between customer and vendor, that is something that I really love about SaaS and it fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Another thing is the speed. Like I love it when things go fast. I would say that I get, I get bored quite quickly. Not one day is the same as the other. It's all about growth and you have to change your business constantly. And that whole idea of constant innovation and change, that really attracts me. Yeah, I think standing still is, is, is a waste of time.
0: What would uh, your advice be for someone that is uh, new to the SaaS uh, world or sees your career and wants something similar? Well, my first and by far
1: most important advice would be go into a business that honestly interests you. Like don't start selling software b- because you think it's gool- cool or just because you want to go in sales. Don't start to do coding just because you love coding. Like that, that's fine. But also m- make sure that you start working for a product and a team and a vision that you really believe in. Because in the long run, that's really going to make the difference, right? You can do sales anywhere. Um, but if you, if you have a passion for what you sale- sell, that is great and the same way if you're if you're in 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 engineering like you you can code anything uh, but if you're building something you, you nearly need everyone needs to feel a little bit like a product owner in my in my opinion like you really need to feel like it's your responsibility that you're selling your customers something awesome i think that would be my advice like truly truly feel for the solution you're selling and don't just go for the highest salary or the coolest job title
0: and any tips how to get promotion after promotion like you did?
1: First of all, do
0: your core job
1: first. I think that is really important. Uh, if you're not making your targets, uh, if you're not writing your code, if you're not uh, finishing your plannings, that is the first thing that people look at, right? Your, your hard numbers have to be right. If they are not right, it's really hard to get a promotion. Um, and sometimes you hear people, yeah, but I'm doing all these extra things. Um, and I'm helping that person, I'm helping that person. It's all great, but it's only great if you finish your own job first. And then, of course, from that, like getting these promotions is also showing that you're willing to put in the work to solve problems. Um, one of the most important feats that I look in, look for um, in someone that, that we promote, and I think that's also something that I always used to do, is... It's not about spotting a problem. Uh, it's about solving the problem. And there's a lot of people that can spot what goes wrong. Like they can flag, hey, we have to improve this, 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 and this. And the next question is, how can you do that? And when are you going to start, right? Wh- why didn't you Why didn't you solve it yet? Um, and flagging problems, I, I, I've noted that a lot of people can flag problems and they can see what goes wrong. But there's really few people that also know what the solution is to solve it and implement it. Like that is that is that is really how you stand out for a company.
0: And, and what skill are you now flagging?
1: Yeah, it's a competence or a skill. It's it's a certain. It's proactiveness. That's definitely so. Taking responsibility. So one of our core values is that you really have to. We we want you to take full responsibility for what you're doing. Like if some if something fails, it's not the fault of the customer. It's not the fault of your colleague that didn't solve the problem. It's your responsibility, so start solving it. And I think that proactiveness, responsibility, um, growth mindset is also what people can call it. That is really important. And um, it's 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 quite a rare skill I also have seen. It's, uh, people find it hard to do that.
0: And how do you assess that in the hiring uh, process?
1: It's really hard to assess because everyone will say that they will do it. Very few people will actually do it um um but there's there's like of course you you ask about previous experiences right one of, one of the things that i really like to look for in profiles for example is people that have had promotions at the companies they were at before it's something you just ask people like hey if you would know th- this problem in the organization whose responsibility is to solve it i always like it when they say it's mine <laughs> <laughs> And it's also it's it's combination, right? Having a strong purpose, having a strong mission, and then also finding the people that believe in that purpose and that mission, because not everyone believes in the st- same purpose or the same mission. Like,
0: and what's your vision on uh, your future vision? So,
1: first of all, I think it's really important that transformation, what we work on, that companies get better at it. So, the the total spent on transformation projects in 2023 is projected to be two trillion dollars in 2023 so it's huge like every company has to do it so there's a lot of projects and there's been multiple parties like IDC and McKinsey that did research on this but 70% of those projects run out of budget and time and I think everyone that works in a company and that has worked on a project knows that the amount of times that you actually deliver it on the due date with the budget that you got for it, like it's rare, it's rare, uh, and, and more often doesn't happen than it does happen. And on top of that, what you also see is that most of those projects, once they're finished, they don't have, they don't deliver the value that was expected up front, uh, or they don't, they don't bring the cost reductions. Well, to me, that is not just a business problem, but that means that every try- time we're trying to achieve that. Well, I think here in Amsterdam we have the North-South line, which is a beautiful example of something that was supposed to be finished uh, quite early, but then took 15 years longer to expect it. It's not just a problem for like the government, but people are dependent on that, right? A lot of people depend on public transport to get to their jobs, to get to their kids, to get to their family. And by having that line finished now, we allow for a lot of beautiful things. Grandparents getting to their kids easier, people getting to their jobs easier, allowing them to spend more time with their kids. And I believe that if we as a company can allow companies to be much more realistic in that planning, if we can accelerate those projects and make them uh, made it, make it well, better possible to do that on time and on planning, we can make for a much better world. And that is really one of what I want to get to. And I right now, in the Netherlands, we are quite successful. So we have a little bit over 200 customers here in the Netherlands. Uh, we are one of the biggest players here. We're helping government organizations we help large construction companies we help hospitals well i think you can imagine that in those industries doing projects on time does not only make those companies more successful but it saves lives and it it makes people do better things and we're able to help people better and i would love to do that all over the world so our first focus right now is to make that same impact that we have in the netherlands in the us uh, and once we get it done there, they sometimes say, once you make it there, you can make it anywhere. So from there, we can expand worldwide. Yeah, nice. And I think uh, the end goal should be no project running out of budget and time and expecting ex- exactly the, the the expected value uh, for any company in the world ever. If we if we achieve that, we're done. So yeah. I think we have 50, well, at least 50 more years to go. But, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: No, but uh, I, I cannot uh, uh, have a better ending to our conversation than that. There's a beautiful way to uh, summarize your vision uh, for both uh, your personal journey and the company's journey, Jelle. So uh, thanks a lot for uh, sharing uh, everything. Uh, we touched a lot of uh, subjects, basically how your, your, your youth transitions I- you into uh, entrepreneurship, how entrepreneurship transitioned you into Value Blue, and how value blue was the vehicle to uh, uh, becoming the CEO of that uh, international uh, SaaS company. Um, is there anything that you want to uh, share with the listeners uh, after the story?
1: Well, first of all, thank you, Nick. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Um, yeah, and I think mm, I, I want to get back to what we talked about. So um, if you're listening to this and if you're interested in, in a career in SaaS, like. Start doing it, number one, and do something that you truly believe in and that you love. Uh, and if uh, the transformation business is, is, is something that you believe in, feel free to reach out because we can use some people.
0: Perfect. It's been an incredible journey of, uh, of discovery today, uh, Jelle. Uh, and thanks, uh, thanks a lot for being part of uh, SaaS Unscripted. Thanks. thanks for joining us on SaaS Unscripted. To explore the latest career opportunities, visit our website, noblerecruitment.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave your review on your favorite podcast app. Until next time on SaaS Unscripted.